0: Hello and welcome to Running With Problems. I am Miranda.
1: And I'm John. This is a podcast about running and relationships and the intersection thereof.
0: And the drama that often comes with run clubs and running groups. Yes,
1: pretty exciting stuff today. Today we talked with each other.
0: It's a deeply personal episode, and I do want to give a warning. We do talk about sex quite a bit, yes. so it might not be appropriate for small ears. We also talk about trying to conceive, so if you're not in the right frame of mind to hear that, you may want to skip this or wait until you have your glass of wine and are, and are in a right space to talk about that and listen to that.
1: Yeah, today's episode is about our journey or the beginning of our journey trying to conceive whilst also training me training for the race of my life and it's very interesting and we go pretty hard into it we talk about a lot of explicit things and concerns and pressures around this topic
0: yeah and I think I do think it is worth a listen um, because it's an important conversation that I don't hear had a lot around conception. I think that some of the details that we go into, you don't, you just don't hear talked about a lot. So it was actually literally one of the challenges that we had was finding the language to have the conversations about what we were experiencing. Mm-hmm. And so we hope this will help some of you all out there.
1: Yeah, I hope you all enjoy a very vulnerable discussion that we had about some issues and some developments we had in our own relationship, as well as you get a full intro to how Miranda and I started running. Um, While we have you, if you enjoy this podcast, feel free to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will really help us.
0: Yeah, and we're going to keep this intro short because we are really winded, long-winded in this episode.
1: Yes. (laughs) Enjoy the pod, and uh, we'll see you next time.
0: Hi, gorgeous. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing wonderful. How are you? I'm
0: good. So um, we have a race coming up. You want to check in about our running goals and our current races that we have coming up?
1: Let's do this. So, what are you running?
0: I am running a 50K in Colorado Springs called Ring the Springs. Ring the Springs. Yeah. And And I'm I'm excited about it because it seems kind of like my jam, which is rollers, a little bit of gain, but a lot of running. So, it seems like something I could do really well at.
1: Are you worried... Because your last 50K on rollers didn't go so well? No, my last 50K on rollers went really, really well. Oh, yes, Avalon,
0: (laughs) right. But the one before that, Westline. That one one did not go so well, no. But my last one went well, so I'm not worried. I'm excited. I've been putting in the work. What about you? You have a big
1: race. I am also running Ring the Springs, but I'm running the 100-miler. Uh, I'm pretty stoked. Uh, I chose this race because it just seems like a really cool connection of local Colorado Springs trails. Now, we don't live in Colorado Springs. I live in Boulder, and um, we never leave the Boulder bubble, so therefore we never go to Colorado Springs. I have barely run in Colorado Springs. I've run the incline a few times, and I've run up to uh, Pikes Peak once. So this course, the 100-mile course, will take me to Mount Rosa, overlooking Colorado Springs, 11,000 and something feet. And then through a bunch of the city trails, Palmer Park, and a few of the other trails. Pulpit Rock, I believe, is another one. I'm forgetting a couple. And you're going to be running a lot of those city trails as well. Um, a little bit, hopefully after me, Hopefully, um, this, <laughs> the start times are a little confusing. I start on Saturday morning and I'm hoping to finish on Sunday morning and Miranda will be starting her race on Sunday morning.
0: Yes. And why I'm so excited about this is because um, this past, I would say, year has been a year of uh, me supporting John.
1: Yeah. Quite a bit. Actually, that's basically our topic of the day.
0: It is. <laughs> yes, we'll be t- diving a little bit more into that today, but we're moving out of that season.
1: Mm-hmm. Well,
0: uh, are mm-hmm. we?
1: <laughs> or are we committing to it for life? Maybe.
0: We'll talk more about that too, but we're moving into a different version of that where um, we're I'm supporting John in his grand adventures, mm-hmm. but also joining in on that with my own goals and my own journey. And a 50K is something I like, a distance I enjoy, and so that I can support him for his first half of the 100 as a crew. Mm-hmm. And then he could be there at the finish line as I finish my journey, I think is a really good meshing of our, our different joys with running.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so if everything goes well, I mean, uh, I'll finish before uh, Miranda finishes and be able to see her finish. So we'll be able to support each other, right? She'll be there at my, uh, the whole first day of my adventure, and I'll be there to see her finish. So I think it'll be pretty fun. I'm really excited for the race. Yeah. yeah.
0: And how's training going?
1: Training is going well. I a few weeks ago, so last time we talked – so our audience here, uh, it was just after NWOTS, and I was taking a little bit of recovery time, although probably not enough as, as it goes. But I have decided on a new goal. Um, as Paul, our, our friend from BTR likes to say, I... Uh,
0: Boulder Trail Runners, for those I, of
1: you who aren't familiar with the acronym yet. <laughs> I turn the page. Um, as he was asking me yesterday. And I am now looking forward to a new goal, which is to cr- do a full Colorado Trail supported run. Uh, Colorado Trail is about 500 miles, between 470 and 500 miles, people argue. I think officially it's 485, but mileage is vary. And uh, I will be trying to do it in 12 to 13 days. Uh, the record is something around eight to nine days, depending on your, uh, route. And so I'm not going for the record. Like I'm not, um, I mean, I think people know that I don't claim to be an elite athlete. Uh, I'm definitely not. I have, I have mildly a,
0: athletic, yes, mildly <laughs> athletic.
1: And I have a t-shirt that says non elite. Um, but I don't see why, like, I just, these sorts of wonderful adventures of a genuinely supported long distance multi-day run across one of these long trails should not be only reserved for the elite just because it takes me a little longer doesn't mean that like it's not worth going for and it's not worth experiencing so I'm very excited uh, to get out there and experience something totally new for me it's a big big stress like uh, yeah, it's stressing me, and it's just so new. It's such a reach for me. It's a stretch goal, uh, but it's a goal that I'm going for, and I'll be doing that in late August. So training has started, and I'm very excited. Uh, I'm about a few weeks in, and I'm about to go do this 100, and then train through that, and we'll see how that goes.
0: And I will be supporting his Colorado Trail adventure. I will be in a van with um, our giant dog, Summit. Yeah. He what a cutie. which um, John has put him on a training plan as well. So if you
1: listen closely to the first episode, you got to hear
0: Summit
1: <laughs> as he was being very annoying.
0: Uh, he's a pit bull German Shepherd mix. He's not very athletic. Um he tries though, it really wants to be, wants to be with us. So he's coming along in the van. And Summit and I will be crewing John along the way, but we'll also be running parts of it and joining him on. Parts of that adventure. Um, So we're really looking forward to that being like a family out there and really enjoying each other and enjoying the beauty of Colorado. Uh,
1: Timothy Olson light adventure.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, For those of you who have seen Timothy Olson's uh, 52-day adventure on the PCT, this is um, very much inspired Anyways, my vision of it is inspired by that journey that he went on with him his family.
1: I believe I pitched this trip to Miranda by saying that I want to do the CT, Colorado Trail, uh, but it's going to take all my vacation time. <laughs> and Miranda's response was, well, then I'm coming. <laughs> and we're going to make it a family adventure. And I'm really excited for everything that entails. It really relieve some of the pressure to like just go fast the whole time or carry and a lot of gear.
0: John doesn't know this, but in my head I've been thinking of this as a honeymoon.
1: Uh, I mean, what about Barkley <laughs> was not a honeymoon. <laughs> what well, that's a great uh segue into tonight's topic.
0: Yes. So tonight we're talking about something very personal. As you've noticed, we don't have a guest tonight. It's just me and John chatting at you all. And we're going to be diving into our personal lives. We're going to be talking a little bit about our, you know, coming into running our run communities and what run communities we're part of. And we're going to be talking about um trying to get pregnant while John trains for the Barkley Marathon and what tensions that brought up and what, um, that experience was like.
1: Yeah. I'm excited. Let's get started. Uh, who wants to go first?
0: (laughs) So John, tell me about what running means to you. How did you come to running?
1: Oh, running. Um, yeah, running. So initially, uh, I started running when I was 20, mid-20s. I don't remember the year exactly. I think it was like 2011. Uh, and my ex-wife, wife at the time, wanted to start running to lose weight. And I, we lived in Baltimore, and she did not feel it was safe to run alone in Baltimore. Very rarely so. It really isn't. Or at least it wasn't at the time. Can't speak to it now. And so she basically made me run with her to, uh, you know, keep her safe. Running in mm-hmm. pairs in big cities is generally useful. Mm-hmm. So that's how I started running. We did um, a ten miler, the Annapolis ten miler. We did three half marathons, and all four of those races within the same year.
0: So just to clarify, you were a road runner.
1: I mean, I was. <laughs> I, I was part of the thirteen minute. Mo- miler like I was part of like the three hour half marathon crowd (laughs) I mean road runner doesn't really describe I was an unwilling participant (laughs) who was running at the bare minimum pace uh, than necessary Uh, I wouldn't even describe myself as a runner at the time but that's how I started running Uh, Mm -hmm. I then when she quit because her knee hurt I quit as well because I never liked it (laughs) <laughs> and then um, and then after we got separated, I was looking for something, uh, didn't know what, and I met somebody in, uh, a cool dude in Portland who convinced me to sign up for the Portland Marathon, and I ran the Portland Marathon, and after a four-hour and 50-something minute uh, finish, uh, crying at mile 22 and calling all the worst people in my life, I... I uh, decided never to run again. So that's time number two. I've quit this quit running. Uh, and then at some point, I was invited to a run club in Boulder by a coworker after I had moved here. and uh, really, that's what did it. It was like after after these half marathons didn't want to do this again. after that marathon, didn't want to do it again. Just joining a local run club that met every Wednesday and ran on trails. Everything led out from there, eventually, I ran a trail half marathon and really, really, really enjoyed it and Then I ran a trail marathon, and it was the first time I had trained for a time time goal, and I just loved the training and the idea of getting better and the personal challenge once i once I made it my thing, you know it wasn 't something that my mm-hmm. wife wanted to do it wasn 't something that my friend convinced me to do. Mm-hmm. It was my thing. It, was, it meant the world to me. And, uh, and the next year I ran a 50-miler, and next year I ran a 100-miler. And my favorite joke about that is that's called exponential growth.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, so that's not really sustainable, but I spent a long time from there trying to figure out how to sustain it.
0: And you have this analogy that you share. I would love it if you share it with our listeners. Oh, which one? The, the, the buffet, buffet one? The buffet, yeah. So
1: the buffet one is actually from uh, Scotty Coomer, who uh, who is the uh, podcaster of 10 junk miles, uh, highly recommend that podcast. I had a small he does a Meet the Nation podcast where he interviews people who listen to the podcast. So he interviewed me 20 minutes and I told him the story and Scott told <laughs> Scott basically was like, well, it's like that you you went to this buffet and you ate this delicious food, but like it made you sick <laughs> and you were like, I'm never going back to that buffet." And then you decided, fuck it. I'm going to go <laughs> try it again. And you try the buffet again, and you get sick again, and you get out of there. But while, you got, but while you were there the second time, you actually met a group of people, and they come there every Wednesday. And you're like, well, I guess I'm coming to this buffet all the time. <laughs> and then eventually your stomach just got used to it. <laughs> and I think that's actually kind of how running is. Like, you got to find that hook that gets you in. And for me, the first thing that actually hooked me was a community. And the second thing that hooked me was personal challenge. And the final thing that hooked me uh, was adventure.
0: I love it. And what run communities are you a part of now?
1: Uh, so yeah, I no longer go to that original Trails and Ales uh, for various dramatic reasons. I'm
0: sure we'll get into oh, a later God. episode. I'm
1: sure. <laughs> Uh, but I currently run with uh, the Boulder Trail Runners, uh, the Boulder Trail Running Breakfast Club. I occasionally drop down to Golden, get out of the boulder bubble, go to the Golden Mountain Runner group. Um, I'm the comms director for the High Lonesome 100, so I help out with that race, uh, which is awesome. Um, that's another community I'm a part of. And... Uh, yeah, that's it, I think. Oh, and I also run this race called Niwats Challenge, which I've talked about before, but I run that every year. I've run it five times, so I would definitely say that's a community I'm involved in.
0: Absolutely. I got to get a taste of that this year by coming down there. It's definitely its own unique community. <laughs> yeah,
1: we're all a little weird.
0: <laughs> Very small. Very small.
1: <laughs> so should I turn the tables on you now?
0: Yeah. So how,
1: how did you get into running?
0: Uh, well, I started running in Portland, Oregon. I was, it was later in life. I was 29 years old. And I had this, um, I had a series of events happen in my life where I felt that any goals I had were now pressing in on me and I needed to finish them. There was no time like now and to start accomplishing goals that I had. Um, and one of them was I was always jealous of runners, I was jealous of the passion that they had for running. And I wanted to be a runner. I I could only run two miles, and this is Portland, Oregon, where it rains all the time.
1: And Miranda hates rain.
0: I hate the dreary skies. I chose to live in Southern California for a reason, which is where I went to undergrad, and then later moved back to. And I chose to move on Boulder, Colorado. Moved to Boulder, Colorado for a reason. So Portland was a stretch for me, and. Um, yeah, I got a couch to half marathon program.
1: That is a strong choice. <laughs> no 5K, no 10K, no. going couch to half marathon. Couch
0: to half marathon. It sounded like a significant enough challenge. I did it with two other girls that also were doing the couch to half marathon program with me. And we ran all of our long runs together. We also ran multiple weekday runs together, and um, some of those runs were on an indoor track. It was was a quarter-mile track, too.
1: Is an indoor track better or worse than a treadmill?
0: Same, same, but different. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, Yeah, it was brutal. It was. But it was also fun, so I enjoyed running on some of the flatter trails of Portland that are beautiful and, of course, muddy and wet, and I, my um, boyfriend at the time worked for Nike, so he got me all of the fanciest gear, Gore-Tex shoes and Mm -hmm. Gore-Tex jackets, and that was really helpful in retraining my mind to, like, okay, I just need to get new things that helped me accomplish these goals in this very, very wet weather.
1: Perhaps in some way that prepared you for your move to Boulder.
0: (laughs) Maybe in some small way. Yes. Um, and that half marathon really was it that after that I never stopped running. I only grew after that. I moved back to San Diego, left that boyfriend in Portland and um, got in with a running group in Southern California, and everyone had run marathons, and I was very jealous, and so signed up for my first marathon. Um, I did fine. It was a 4.30 marathon, but what I really enjoyed more than anything was... It's pretty
1: good time for a first marathon.
0: ...was training for it. I really enjoyed the training experience, and I think that's continued. I've done a marathon a year um, other than COVID years since that time. Um, and it's been an exponential growth, as you would say, I've not in the way that you've done it, but <laughs> I started in the trail scene and really enjoyed 50 K's and then, um, did my first 50 miler last year with you by my side.
1: Congratulations. That was an awesome Thank epic you.
0: adventure. We <laughs> ran that whole thing step-by-step, step, which was really
1: beautiful. If I may, there's a part of your story you left out that oh. I really enjoy. Okay. And that is, who inspired you to make that change in your life back when you decided to start running? If it's something that you always wanted to do, yeah. what was the inspiration
0: yeah. in that moment in time? I left it out because I think it's sad sometimes to talk about, but it's also inspiring. I had um, a really good friend of mine at the time. She was this beautiful, big, inspiring black woman. And we would have nothing in common if you knew the two of us at all. Um, But somehow we forged a a really beautiful friendship. We both worked at the Women's Resource Center at Portland State University. And she got diagnosed with terminal cancer. Mm -hmm. And what that meant to her was something different than I think it would mean to a lot of people what it meant to her was, okay, well, um, I've just been given a year to live. That means I have to accomplish all my goals that I've ever set out to accomplish in my life in this next year. And those goals were lofty. She wanted to get her master's degree. She wanted to become a stand-up comedian. And so she... She did, and I would, um, towards the end of her life, I would drive her to her stand-up comedian shows. She was suddenly getting paid to be a stand-up comedian. She went, and that is rare. That is very rare. If anyone has been in the stand-up scene, to go in the span of a short span of a year to suddenly becoming a paid stand-up comedian, um, that's a tough thing to accomplish, but she was really funny, and she wrote her own jokes, and... Um, I'd drive her to her shows with her oxygen tank, and um, she would perform. And it was just so inspiring to me to bear witness to such an incredible human that was um, accomplishing all of her goals, that she had she had put these goals in in a lifetime. And most people would need a lifetime to accomplish. And yet she condensed them down to a year and was just ticking them off one by one. And I was like, well, what is my excuse? I better I better get down to business and start accomplishing some of these goals. And so um, she really inspired me to start running.
1: I think that's an amazing
0: story. I'm glad you shared it. Yeah. Me too.
1: So what communities do you currently claim to be a part of?
0: What so- run
1: communities, I guess?
0: Yes. So... Boulder Trail Runners, which mm. is where John and I met.
1: Oh, yeah. we should. Well, we already told that we story. We already told that
0: story yeah. in our um, episode I could, with I could Nathan. I tell it in every episode. It's a good one. It's a good story. And that was the first community that I became a part of when I came to Boulder. And it's still one of my favorites. I just have such a special place in my heart for that community. Um, mostly folks that are older than us. Um, mm-hmm.
1: Although that's kind of changing, there's a tide. I mean, I think all, all like long-term run groups that like are established in like a city, eventually have a tide change or they eventually wither, right? So, we're having yeah. we're having. There's a lot of younger people coming these days, which is yeah. great. It's great to see.
0: It's great to see, and it's a good group, and they really. They really taught me to enjoy the journey of running and just, like, let go of this is a workout or I have a specific time I want to finish in or get this workout done and just enjoy running outdoors.
1: Yeah, I guess if there was one, that one ethos of Boulder Trail Runners, it's that people who run with BTR enjoy being outside.
0: Yeah, trails. yep. I remember the specific moment. I was fairly new to Boulder and I was running with this group I'd been intimidated by the trails, um, as many people are, and the altitude. But I'd been, you know, coming out with this group, and at one point on a trail run, one of the guys stopped and picked two apples, and he started eating one. Still stopped, and then he handed me one, and he was like, "Oh, would you like an apple?" And I was like, in my head, I was like, "We're on a run. I'm not gonna stop and eat an apple." And then. I just, like, switched my frame of reference, and I was like, oh, he doesn't care if we finish anytime soon. He's just enjoying being out here. Sure, I'll have an apple. <laughs> and I've, I just remembered that moment ever since, and love that that group taught me that. Um, the next group, the Breakfast Club, yep. the and Boulder Trail Running Breakfast Club.
1: The same club where we met Nathan Kurz on our first yes, episode. Yes,
0: yes um it's a great club pretty low drama for run clubs i would say yeah yeah reasonably and then i am still definitely a part of the milestone running club in san diego
1: milestone is very cool it's one of the few running communities i've seen that like still to this day is based out of a running store uh i know there's I know that used to be like a huge thing. That used to be where you found your a lot of the community in uh, running. But in the past ten years, is like online running stores have become dominating, and most running stores have become conglomerate chains. Like having an actual local running store that has a unique community and builds that community. I, uh, you know, it's not something I see everywhere, and not and my experience is not global. So I'm not saying it doesn't uh, exist, right? Yeah. If you, but um, I think milestone is very unique and special.
0: And and part of that is the owners, the co-owners. They're pretty amazing individuals. They, um, Greg and Chad, we'll get them on as guests, so I won't say much more about them because we'll definitely have them on as guests um, in the future. But yeah, they really build a strong community and are just really rad dudes.
1: Awesome. Well, so, does that conclude the intro section? Yeah,
0: let's transition into our topic at hand. All right. I think we need some background on this.
1: We do. So the overall topic is how did training for Barclay and our decision to try to get pregnant interact, right? And, and how did that go together? I think the is the best way to start to say why we wanted to get pregnant Or is the best way to start, (laughs) say why training for Barclay was so hard?
0: Oh my gosh, I think we should start with a little bit of background why this feels so pressing, and I think I'm the best one to talk about that.
1: Yeah, let's go with there.
0: So um, for those listeners who don't know, John and I have a bit of an age gap, not super significant, but I'm 40 and John is 36, and um, we've both met after... A life, we've had a life.
1: Yeah, yeah, we've. I'm divorced, and Miranda's certainly lived quite a life between Portland and San Diego and Northern California.
0: Yeah, and we've, um, I wouldn't say we knew immediately that we we were each other's person, but we've grown into that and certainly are certain of that now. And one thing that we decided is that we wanted to. Um, have a have a kid, make a baby. And because of my age in particular, um, it's we don't have a lot of time to do that.
1: No, the, the body clock is against us.
0: Yeah, and I hate that that's true because I could easily spend the next 10 years with just me and John because we really enjoy each other's time, just the two of us. It isn't like we're trying to fill any gap or anything like that.
1: Why do you want to have a child?
0: I want to have a child with you. I've always been clear that I don't want to have a child just for the sake of having a child. I want to... I want to have a child with you because I'm madly in love with you and I think we would make a beautiful, smart human that would um, be kind and do well in the world.
1: That's a good reason.
0: Yeah, why do you want a child?
1: I want a child so I can teach it all the things I know.
0: Uh, I think you'd be a good teacher.
1: I want to do my best to not pass on my trauma. I want to show it all the beauty of mathematics and the beauty of the outdoors and let it make its own decisions and go from there. I think you would be an amazing mother and I would love to go on that journey with you as hard as I know it is.
0: (laughs) So we made this decision. Um, This was before we were married we'd already decided to get married, Um, we stopped birth control in October, which was right before my 40th birthday.
1: Yep. And it also corresponded (laughs) with me applying to get into the Barclay Marathons. I already knew I was on the wait list, and the way Barclay works, which... No one knows the way Berkeley works because it's a secret. <laughs> there are a few things I can say about how to apply for Berkeley. That is, if you're on the wait list and you continue to apply, you will be guaranteed to be back on the wait list or in the race. So having been on the wait list from the previous year, I reapplied uh, in the fall of last year. And I got into the race, which was um, a dream, uh, an absolute dream. Um, Barclay, Mar- if you don't know what the Barclay is, it's just this very obscure, hard to get into race in Tennessee. And I had been trying to get in for five years. And to get in was amazing. But it also scared the living, But Be- Jesus, I don't know how to say it. Like, I was so enamored with, like, how am I going to prepare for this race? It is literally a dream. It is, it is the race of a lifetime. I may never get to run it again. And how am I going to prepare myself to get it to rate to run this thing? I, I mean, if we scoot back to before I got into the wait list, we're talking about 2021. Like I was considering quitting all hundred milers. Like I was thinking like my running life was, um, probably going to take a different turn. And when I get into this, onto this list with, uh, my heroes, like people I look up to, you know, John Fegavarese, you know, Jared Campbell, Courtney DeWalter, um, The list goes on and on and on. I I am a huge Barkley nerd and I love all those people. And to be on the same list as them was truly humbling. I felt like I didn't belong, huge imposter syndrome. And I, so I did what I needed to do. I, I put the work in. I spent a year, over a year. I spent probably around 15 months From the moment I knew, hey, I'm on this wait list, therefore I'm eventually going to get into this race, I spent a lot, I spent so much time preparing my body for what I saw as my biggest weakness in Barclay. Now, Barclay requires a lot of skills and a lot of aspects of you, yourself. You have to be smart, at least in some some navigational ways and some decision making ways, right? You know, traditional book smarts notwithstanding, but like a certain kind of smart is required. Uh, you have to be extremely fit in order to do well. That is obvious. It is it is a very difficult race, and then you have to practice a lot of skills, uh, navigation. Um, but the kind of navigation that's more towards memorization as opposed to orienteering. You have to practice, you know, night work. You have to practice bushwhacking. You have to practice uh, long vertical climbs and descents. Um, And the the list goes on. Barkley is a very difficult race. But my biggest weakness for sure was fitness, that, you know, I was – I'm pretty good for my fitness at going up and down hills. I'm pretty good for my fitness. I'm really good for my fitness at navigating. I'm really good at night work. But my fitness level uh, just isn't on the level of most other Berkeley athletes. You know, I've never finished 100 below 33 hours or 32 and a half. Um, I've never run a marathon below 345, 55 55. You're 345. I'm 355. Uh, yeah, like it's like I'm not I'm not as fit as a lot of these people. And so to go into this test of my human endurance, I felt I had to
0: give it your all.
1: I had to give it my all, and clearly my all meant fixing meant working the most on my weakest point. Mm-hmm. Without without ignoring these other points, I still did a ton of work in these other skill areas. Um, but I spent about 15 months working heavily on my uh, fitness. Now, coming into October, November, December, mm-hmm. knowing I'm probably getting into the race in March, I knew that uh, the training leading up to Barclay would be the the most I had done yet. And it would be during the worst season. You know, winter, one of the mm-hmm. hardest things about Barclays is that you have to train during the winter because the race is in March. And winter training, the, <laughs> the nights get come in early and the training doesn't let up. So I was putting in 20 plus hour weeks of training. Which working includes, a full-time job. Well, the running, you know, I'm yeah. running like 15 to 20 hours. I'm working out. Uh, like lifting, four to six hours, and it's and then you you have all the driving time and showering time and all all everything else that so you know and total training time was approaching like over twenty five hours, and I'm working a full time job, and I'm super tired. I've never worked this hard in my life, and it took a huge toll on me. I was very tired like a lot of the nights because I was just I was just working harder than my body was used to I was eating so much and one of these things that I realized through all this training was I need to eat well in order for this training to take hold my normal habits do not involve (laughs) eating well
0: He'll like eat later in the afternoon and sometimes the meal will be like chips and salsa. I, I
1: literally today forgot to eat lunch and and that throws everything off. Um, and so I, to, to cut all this long rambling to, to a point, I knew that the hardest part of my training was coming up and I was going to rely more and more on Miranda for just taking care of the things that needed to be done at the house. She um, she had moved in only, what, six months prior? Less?
0: Yeah, a little less.
1: And, you know, cooking almost all the meals. And prior to that, we shared much of the cooking. Mm-hmm. Although Miranda does take a somewhat majority, and I cook a little less, but we do share it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this, during this period, it was sort of, it was known between us, like... She was going to cook yeah. almost everything. And and my ability to contribute to much of anything was going to be suppressed because I was putting all of my focus into Barclay.
0: And then to bring it back to one way I think I made an error is I took on the burden of, okay, um... I'm just not going to burden him with knowing when ovulation is or when we should be trying to make a baby. I'm going to keep all that to myself and not weigh, that, weigh him down with that. He's already worrying about enough. And um, Well, let's, let's take
1: one step back. Yeah. Coming into this process, I was pretty chill. I was like, you know, if this works, it works. And we get a baby. Yeah. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And we can talk about that then. Mm -hmm. And we were kind of on the same page at some point. Right. And then that changed.
0: Yeah. Um, Okay. Just take that step back. Yeah. I think I I thought I was going to have that mentality. I totally planned on having that mentality as well. Um, And I have never been the type of woman who thinks she needs to be have a child to be fulfilled. Um, that's not to, I'm not trying to say that's a bad thing. It just isn't something that has been a number one goal of mine. Other things have been goals of mine. However, I'm a very goal-oriented person. So once that became a goal of mine, I wanted to accomplish that goal <laughs> very much. And pretending that I was chill about it um, was just lying to myself. Because I'm I'm not I'm not a chill person when it comes to accomplishing things I set out to accomplish. Yeah. And I think that's evident in my work ethic when I'm training seriously.
1: It's, it's a thing just, we share.
0: It's a thing we share. Yeah, absolutely. And that, um, unintentionally, and I think a little bit, um, without my awareness became how I tackled this, um, pregnancy goal.
1: Yeah. And, and that, that happened over, that happened relatively quickly, but it sort of happened. I don't want to say behind my back. It, it was something I wasn't paying attention to.
0: Because was, had, it was right this fr- other focus.
1: It was right in front of my eyes, yeah. but I wasn't seeing it. So you were, uh, you were getting very into this ovulation cycle, measuring it and knowing when to have sex so yes. that we can make said baby.
0: But I was not talking to you about that.
1: Because... I, you I were exp-
0: focused. You had other goals.
1: I mean, honestly, I think during the Berkeley cycle, I didn't want to know, yeah, right, um, like yeah. I wanted to like I wanted to do my job in the sex department <laughs> but i it it was secondary, yeah, it was secondary to berkeley and and that maybe that sounds like it's. Kind of awful to say. But it was a period of time, and I knew that after March of this year, mm-hmm. that would no longer be true. Right. So it felt okay yeah. to choose for three months, four months, five yeah. months, <laughs> <laughs> to choose with a specific end time to be like, okay, this relation, I'm putting this relationship behind something else. Yeah. Because I'm training my body to do some crazy thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And
1: in that period, I, I, I failed to see um, a pressure building. Yeah. Were there any pressures you felt during that period?
0: Yeah, oh, for sure. I felt, um, I felt the pressure to bear the burden of initiating sex. That was my biggest pressure. I felt like I needed to be the one taking this burden on of initiating all the time, and because I think you were so tired and focused elsewhere, um, I was the definitely the one who initiated more often. It wasn't yeah. a shared responsibility, or I hate saying it like that. That's not the way I want to say it. It wasn't a. A shared passion at that I mean, time. It,
1: if we if we are just talking about initiating sex and how you want it to feel in a relationship. Yes. Is you want it to be shared. You want... Yes. I guess I can't speak to everyone's tastes. That's
0: true. You can't... We Some people probably have very different tastes. They probably want it to be initiated 100% by the other person or... You never know.
1: But for us, you know, yes. we are very, we share a lot of responsibilities and we live on a, you know, we we respect each other a lot and we respect each other in the bedroom a lot. And it, I don't, I love initiating, but I also love being initiated upon. And I want both. And I think, and I think you yeah. do as well. I and think it
0: goes back to the cooking. I think, <laughs> I think, um, I think in the kitchen I cook More, but John also cooks. And then in the bedroom, I think maybe John initiates more, but I also initiate.
1: This is actually true. This
0: is actually very true, and we both like it. We like both those balances. Yeah. And that became very different during Barclay training and baby making.
1: Yeah. And one of the big pressures I started feeling during this period was that there was this period, the ovulation period, where I was supposed to be having more sex at uh, some sort of desired interval and drinking less and, and, and uh, reducing masturbation during this period. And I didn't know when that period was because Miranda wasn't sharing this information with me so I felt like all the time I wasn't I wasn't doing enough. Yes. I all I had this feeling now. This is a common feeling in my life yeah. is not doing enough, not being enough, not being. And good I want
0: to be also clear with the audience because I want them to understand we were having sex three to four times a week. So we, it's not like there was ever any lulls, huge lulls. But this is just John's feelings and emotions around this experience.
1: Yeah. Like, I I would miss, you know, a few days. And since I didn't know when the ovulation period was, I would start to be like, okay, I have to get back there. I have to I have to do my job. And it became, it started have, building a lot of pressure. And then after Barkley, that pressure released. And I started getting very stressed and eventually i was just there was just one day where i was just ranting to miranda being like i don't know why i'm upset i'm super upset i don't know why i feel so stressed and i think miranda i think you said something to me like well i hope it's not you know something is is it something about me and I was like, well, I mean, I feel a lot of pressure to have sex with you. <laughs> and and it's so crazy how I now know, like, this podcast is about the reason, like, why that was built, right? Like, right. Barkley had this period where I wasn't paying attention. Mm-hmm. And I didn't see the stress build up that mm-hmm. I was telling myself I wasn't doing enough in the bedroom
0: mm-hmm. to
1: try and make this baby, which... As of yet, we are still unsuccessful in
0: making. That's true. We do not have a positive pregnancy test. <laughs> and
1: I really want that, and I want that for you. And it's putting a lot of pressure on me to perform. And I, because I was so focused on Berkeley, I didn't even see this buildup of tension
0: mm-hmm.
1: that eventually released and and made me super stressed um, for a, for a few weeks. Yeah. And eventually. We were able to have a discussion about, yeah. you know, I think we were walking the dog on a nice long walk, and I was just ranting about how I felt pressure in the bedroom, and you were, you were, you were taking it like a champ, um, and it was difficult. It was a difficult discussion to have.
0: Definitely challenging. Uh, I mean, it's still challenging to think about. It's challenging to think about your partner who you. Love so much, and you want to feel closer to you through this experience, feeling further away from you.
1: Feeling like it's more a job that yeah. they're not performing well enough at. Yeah. And being stressed about that. Yeah. That's certainly not the intention we went into this
0: with. No, not at all. So far from our, our original vision.
1: Of be chill and just try to have <laughs> sex.
0: Yeah, which we're very good at.
1: Well, well, I don't even remember what that's like. <laughs> so, how did we fix it? Uh, how did we? How did I stop being so stressed? And how did we relieve this tension? Um, I mean, everybody's going to be unique. This is not advice. This is just a story. Yeah. But. I knew what I needed and I told you eventually one, or I guess I should say once I knew that the stressor was this problem Mm -hmm. because I didn't know initially, but after that walk, I was like, Oh my God, I talked for like 10, 15 minutes about how much the bedroom is stressing me out. I clearly, this is what's stressing me out. It's not work. It's not, like, post-race depression. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it could have been a number of things, right? Anxiety and depression, even minor bouts of it, are, like, hard to attribute. But I knew that, like, clearly this was something that was bothering me. As much as it was hard to talk about, I'm glad I was able to talk about it with you. And I knew mm-hmm. it was upsetting you in the moment. And it was upsetting me, but it, it just had to come out. Once I knew that that was the stressor, yeah. I was able to find a way to relieve the pressure, which is because I felt not good enough, because I mm-hmm. felt I wasn't performing well enough, I need expectations. Yeah. I need to know what does Miranda want from me?
0: During In
1: the, this in the bedroom, yeah. during the ovulation period. <laughs> and, and so I just asked. Miranda, will you please tell me when your app tells you that you have to have sex and how much you want me to do that? And as, as not ro- romantic as that sounds, <laughs> for me, that works. Because, yeah. I, because the biggest impediment to me is going to be feeling not good enough, feeling like I'm not doing my job. Mm-hmm. So by relieving that impediment... I can do whatever I need to do and be very romantic or as much as, as, as required. Yeah. How about you? What about that process about hearing me have some, that difficulty or mm-hmm. solving that difficulty by asking for more information? What were your feelings?
0: Well, um, I knew there was something wrong. Like, I wasn't oblivious. Um, But I think I will, I'll just reframe this to, like, my biggest lesson from this experience was that it's okay to ask when you feel like something's wrong. And it's okay to dig a little deeper. Because I knew something was wrong long before this all came up.
1: Yeah. It, it was definitely a few weeks of very visible stress and probably some, Im, something happening before that as well.
0: Yeah. And I didn't, I have this like, I very much don't want to be a burden. I don't want to overreact about things. And so like a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. So I very much didn't want to add stress to you. Mm-hmm. By inquiring. So my biggest lesson from this was not to let it go so far before you voice your concerns. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a big takeaway for me because like one of, one of my biggest reactions, why I was so emotional about it, was that it went so far not that it happened because
1: that it got to the point where i was like sex is stressing me out yeah <laughs> exactly
0: um because because i knew something was wrong sooner i'm i'm pretty like in tune with us and in tune with you and i knew something was up i yeah. of course i didn't know what
1: right i mean i didn't even know what it
0: was yeah but um, to have let it go so far, I just felt so bad for letting it go so far. So that was definitely my biggest takeaway. And I think, um, as we've explained to the listeners, we're pretty, we're, we're just a couple of years in.
1: Yeah. I mean, we're,
0: we're still learning each other in a lot this, of ways.
1: I guess this is your one year, you know, we just passed your one year move in. Yeah.
0: And we, we dated in the beginning for the first five months seeing each other twice a week. <laughs> explicitly, <laughs> explicitly. twice a week. Twice a week. <laughs> we, had,
1: we had this great conversation <laughs> where I was like, you're leaving on a trip in a, in a few weeks. And I know we're seeing each other twice a week. But I want to see you more. So I'm going to see you more. And you were like, okay. And then we saw each other like three to four times a week. <laughs>
0: It was really beautiful to have someone just so explicitly be like, I'd like to see you more. And then literally take actions to make that happen. It was an introduction into how action-oriented John is. It was actually a really defining moment in our relationship. It's something you respect in me. Super, super respect. Yeah.
1: And... Uh, we took action on this issue. We and, did. And things have been going well.
0: Things have been going despite
1: well. Despite the negative pregnancy.
0: <laughs> we'll keep you all posted on how that rest of that journey goes. But I hope, I hope that this being so open and vulnerable about this journey um, provides some sort of insights, comfort, maybe um, guidance if any of you are experiencing something similar or or parallel.
1: I think that a lot of people in our community might see us as like the perfect couple who has no problems because that is something we project. But I hope that this episode shows that like we deal with all the same shit everyone else deals with. (laughs) And uh, the only way to fight it is communication. And trying to figure out what the hell's bothering you.
0: <laughs> Should we tackle a, a question from a listener that's really what? related? Let's to do it. This? We got our
1: first question from a listener, and while we're on, while you're pulling up that mm-hmm. question, I want to let you guys know that we have an email. And if you do have a question, and you know us, you can definitely tell us, or you can email it. If you don't know us, or you know us, please email us at podcast at. Running with problems. Our website is kind of not all the way there. Uh, so don't really go to pot running with problems. Run yet. But you can email us at podcast at running with Run. And we look forward to yeah. hearing your questions because they get us really excited to record episodes. And maybe we'll record more. Yeah. You email us questions.
0: And forgive us for not recording more. We both have full-time jobs and train and have lives. Um, and we're
1: racing in a week and a half. And I'm training, yeah. for, the, training for the CT. Yeah. We do a lot of stuff.
0: But if you write in, we will record more. Yes. So let's tackle this question. It's by Sophie, who we love.
1: Yes, Sophie is so awesome. Maybe we'll get her on at some point.
0: Oh, for sure. She
1: is a beautiful person.
0: She also started running much later in life and has been crushing the running circuit, winning, winning.
1: Like winning every 50K, 50 miler in the San Diego area lately.
0: Yeah, and she started running during the pandemic. Amazing, amazing story. So what she got to ask us. So her question is really related to our topic today, which is, how do you balance passion for training and running with time spent for life responsibilities, work, family, even kids, and your partnership?
1: Well, I can start with this. During Berkeley, I relied entirely on Miranda to support everything, and I did almost nothing. <laughs> so that's probably a bad answer. Not
0: a balance. <laughs> Not a balance. Um, yeah.
1: How do you balance running, training for these big things.
0: Yeah, and she specifically used the word passion. So how do you balance, like, I'm passionate about training, and yeah. how do you balance that passion with your other life responsibilities as well as your partnership? Um, so for us, I want to say that we have an advantage here, and that's that we share that passion.
1: That is a distinct... Uh, advantage we are able to share quality time while also training going out for that passion
0: we had it was post um Barkley training we had um a 20 mile run that I'll probably never forget and we decided to go on this 20 mile run route it ended up being like 23 22. which one,
1: are you talking about Boulder Backside Yeah. Yeah.
0: And we, I thought, you know, we've been hanging out a lot lately. Maybe we're not going to have much to talk about. We literally talked the entire 23 miles and just really enjoy each other's company on these adventures. But this is not helpful. (laughs) I want (laughs) to, this is not helpful to Sophie's question at all. Hey. I'm going to take a step back.
1: Okay. I have, I have, I can kick it off and give you. Or do you need a moment to think?
0: No I have I okay. have, I take a step back to a couple of stories I think are valuable here. Okay. One is that I recall dating someone who um, did not understand my passion for running and I had made Saturday plans, loose Saturday plans, and then he was very angry when I didn't respond until much later in the day because the adventure on the PCT was so beautiful. Pacific Crest Trail, for those of you who want to know the full full, um, adventure, I'd run on the Pacific Crest Trail and then um, I was out of service, self-service. I'd gotten back much later and he was very mad at me, very mad that I had like not responded all day. We had had loose plans to hang out and I hadn't come through to me that's not understanding your passion for training and running
1: like him not understanding your passion yes
0: he did not understand or respect my passion and while he didn't need to be a part of it he did need to understand it and that's something that I found in you you understand and are a part of, which the being a part of is just a, a bonus is a like a definite bonus.
1: When it comes to partner selection, yes. One of the things I explicitly was looking for before I even realized someone like you existed was someone who could understand that I love running more than I love almost anything else in this world. And that loving another person might come close or surpass slightly running. They will exist indefinitely on the same level. And I had not found that in a partner until I met you. And I think it's, you know, partner selection is not this question. But if you you are at that stage where you are doing partner selection and you are, you are, (laughs) you know, Interviewing candidates, as they say. Uh, Dating. like Someone who understands that you love what you love, I think is just number one in my book.
0: Yeah. And I'm going to also, I'm going to say it is part of this question because to keep your life in balance, there needs to be a general respect and acknowledgement with those you surround yourself with about what balance means to you. And if training for this thing you're passionate about and you love brings balance and harmony into your life, then those around you need to respect that. Well, let's
1: let's take Sophie as an example. Without, yes. without giving too much away about Sophie's life, she came into running later. You already mentioned yes. that. She was already with her partner when she discovered running. Yes. And now she has a coach and she trains she's training for uh she already did 100k
0: yeah right
1: she's training for longer and longer races maybe someday up to 100 miles. i can only hope <laughs> uh
0: she's a strong runner
1: right and her soon-to-be husband you know has seen this transformation yeah how is somebody who makes it you know they're with a partner and then this person makes a change, and now running is such a big part of their lives, right? Yeah. You can't really go through partner selection in that
0: case. No, you cannot. Right.
1: So you, you know, how do you talk to your partner about it? And then I guess we should eventually transition to structuring your life.
0: Yeah. Around this stuff. I mean, how do you talk to your partner about that? How, like, I guess that's the
1: thing—is like they should respect your passion. Yes. And your passion for running or whatever it is does not reflect a lack of love or passion for your partner.
0: I'm actually going to share a story about my dad right now. Okay, let's go. So um, my dad, best dad ever, loved my dad. He's the greatest. And one thing I loved about him is that whatever my passion was, was suddenly his passion. Mm. Like, um, I was really into rock hunting. Suddenly, we're going on crystal digging, expeditions, we're we're doing all the things rock related. And then, my sister was super into basketball. He was watching all the women's basketball games, like, super into women's basketball. (laughs) And, That's how I want want people to engage with each other. I, like, want that lesson to be imparted on others. Like, someone else's passion, you can get into that. You can feed off of that. That's so beautiful to be a part of someone else's passion. And that's the lesson my dad left with me. And I just, like, I like for other people to see that a little bit of that, too.
1: So I guess... That's the foundation of our answer is...
0: Share that passion.
1: Respect the passion, even if it takes away time.
0: Yeah.
1: Because it's not taking away love. It's just... Sometimes people got to be passionate about something. I think in our society, it's far more acceptable to be passionate about a startup or going to work than it is to be passionate about running. (laughs) So... I would just put those on the same playing field and think of, you know, we have the things that we do in our lives and that may change over time, but you fell in love with a person because of who they are and part of who they are is what they're passionate about and their yeah. passion itself,
0: right? Yes. And let me respond a little bit to that the kids part of that question as well. If you have kids and they see you being passionate about something other than them having a life, having a hobby, doing rad things like running the Colorado Trail in 13 to 12 days, something like that, (laughs) that is going to show them that they should pursue their passions more than if you tell them they should pursue their passions.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So... Coming back to this original question of balancing running or other training or uh, fashions with life duties.
0: Partnership kids.
1: I have a perspective on this that I would like to say is I think you should do what I've done and try to structure your life to minimize those other things. <laughs> so uh, I was lucky enough to be able to buy a house and one of the things I looked for in a house was something I had to do less work on.
0: Ooh, good point. Yeah, Right?
1: I, less I, yard work. I wanted to, yes, I don't own a yard. Um, I live in an HOA community that takes care of my yard. And uh, I don't, and, I, and my house was move-in ready. So I didn't have to do a lot of updating. I did have to paint a room. It took me six weeks. This is what we're dealing with here, all right? (laughs) This is the level we're on. (laughs) Many people are handier than I, uh, but I generally structure my life so that I can be out running every weekend. And so there's a lot of life duties that have to be done, but some of those life duties are actually optional if you take some time to think about what is your life about and what do you structure it around.
0: I love that response, and that is... That is so true. We have minimal uh, life, let's say I don't know, you call them life duties? Chores?
1: Chores, yeah. Minimal weekly errands. chores.
0: We got to go grocery shopping, clean the house, water the plants, feed the dog.
1: Yeah. I mean, the dog is, does take away from our running.
0: Oh, he does. A
1: little bit. And some of our adventuring. But we're going to yeah. do our best to make him an adventure dog.
0: We're trying. <laughs> we would have done really well an adventure dog that really liked to go adventuring, but
1: well, how do we do
0: answering the question? I think Is... we did. Excellent. I think we can wrap it up now.
1: Okay. All right. Let's wrap it up.
0: Thank you all for listening.
1: Yeah. This was a really fun podcast to record. Um, hopefully we're going to have some more episodes like this in the future. Uh, If you have topics, let us know. We want to talk about things. We love talking yeah, so much.
0: And like I said, we love talking to each other. So we're happy to do more of these.
1: Thank you guys very much. Uh, Please give us a review if you enjoyed this episode. And we'll see you next time.
0: Bye.